This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we have a survivor named Diamond. And Diamond grew up in a dysfunctional family with an older brother who had extreme behavioral issues. And she also had an abusive, jealous mother who used sarcasm and mocking as a way to implant negative beliefs in an attempt to destroy Diamond from the inside out. Plus, there's an escape in the middle of the night. It is a great episode. Now cue the theme song. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of narcissistic abuse. I'm Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thanks for tuning into this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It's that simple. And now before we get to our interview, I just want to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Our Facebook group is really rocking and rolling these days, so everyone in our Facebook group, I say hello. And also, a reminder, if you have not left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, etc., please leave us a five-star written review as it helps out when it comes to rankings. Now, once again, I just want to tell everyone we have a little bit of a moratorium on recordings because our vetting call and recording call schedule is pretty much booked to the end of the month. We have a lot of stuff going on. If you still want to send in your story, please do so. You can do that at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. However, the quickest way to be part of our show is if you want to read a letter to your narcissist and be part of our Letters to Our Narcissist compilation episode. We have a voicemail recorder on our website. Go there at NarcissistApocalypse.com. On the right side of the page, you'll see this floating button that says Send Voicemail. Click on that button, and away you'll go. You'll have five minutes to record. If you need more than one uh, time to record, record twice or three times, four times, as many times as you need. If you don't want to read your letter yourself and you just want to send us a letter for myself or Melissa, my old pal Melissa, hey, Melissa, to read it on an episode, just email us at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and in the subject line, put letters to your narcissist. And before we get to our episode, let me tell you socially what I've done this week. Last night, I got together with a member from our Facebook support group and we filled out something called the Year Compass. It's a booklet. You can print it yourself. You can go to yearcompass.com, I think it is. You can print it yourself. It helps assess your past year, create goals for your new year. Uh, last night, 
the person from the Facebook uh, support group. Uh, we were uh, out for about three hours. We only got through one third of the actual uh, booklet because we just talked and ate most of the time. But So a big shout out to that person. And thanks for hanging out with me last night. We had a good time. And now I'm just going to get out of my own way. Here's my interview with Diamond. And I'll check back with you all when it is all over. Hello, everyone. Today, I have with me Diamond. How are you, Diamond? Hi. <laughs> thank you for having me. Uh, well, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, we had a nice pre-call. We've had a good chat before this even started. We're all warmed up. We've been giggling, telling stories. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a habit. So... <laughs> I'm just going to get out of my way and your way. The floor is now yours to tell your story. And once again, thank you for being on the show. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Oh, my goodness. Where to start? I will start from the very beginning. Um, uh, for people who are listening, I think I, I, I have experience with uh, two narcissists. Uh, my my brother and my mother. So these stories will kind of go back and forth a little bit. But I, I want to give an idea of what my family was like. Uh, we, we were this beautiful-looking family from the outside, you know, a charming father, beautiful mother, three kids, a dog. Just uh, from the outside, you looking in, you think, well, how this family has it all together. Um and we did, but it was coming apart at the seams. So we had everything, but we were just holding it together. Um, my my first experience, I think, with a uh, with uh, abuse at all would be with my brother, who was about oh, we're not close. He's about six years older than me. Maybe actually eight. That's how bad it is. He's eight years older than me. Um, and he didn't really, I, I, I mentioned this before that I think you, you and I <laughs> sound like we have the same brother. Um, but he's very, very um, abusive. So he would get very angry and he would slow things. He would go like just tear the, tear the house down. Uh, and these were over very small things, uh, or at least from my definition, obviously from his definition, they weren't small because they were big enough for him to throw things around. Um, but yes, he would, uh, um, get very upset and, and it was getting to be on a nightly basis, uh, when I was younger. And when I say younger, I mean, under eight years old, that the police would be over at my house. Uh, to restrain him, they would have to hold him down or tie him to perhaps a gurney, I, I don't remember, but he would have to be held down and restrained. Um, uh, my, my father would have to come in and, and sit on him until the police came or whatever to, to, to take him out. Uh, I remember when I was younger, um, we lived across the street from my grandmother, um, and... She was just again really sweet fam looking family, and she was she was uh, having us bake cookies. And I remember um, my my brother um, 
uh, we were putting the cookie dough on the pan, and my my eldest brother grabbed one of the cookies dough and ate it. And my grandmother gave him a hard time. Like, why would you do that? You know, kind of thing. So later on, we go home, um, uh, and uh, my parents are asking us how our day was, whatever. And I made a joke about the fact that they ate uh, cookie dough. Uh, and, um, uh, he just freaked out, uh, just knocking things down, uh, angry, uh, in his room. I remember him screaming, I have no family. Uh, and again, the police were called. So then, um, um, I, I want to say even within that week, uh, but I could be wrong. We were baking cookies again. And again, uh, uh, my brother ate one of those, um, one of the cookie dough. This time, I kept my mouth shut. I felt bad because I, I, I started this. I felt like I had started this thing where I made a joke and then it just the the world came crashing down. And of course, I'm under eight years old, so I think it's all my fault. So this time, I don't say anything and. My brother has another one of his attacks. He, he uh, again, was knocking things down. Um, it, just destructive is the best way that I can that I can destru- describe him. Um, he was always really destructive, and so when he got in his way, it was my. So I have the eldest brother, and then I have the middle brother. Uh, and the middle brother's job was to to rush me and the dog into a room and lock the door while our parents are, are wrestling with my eldest brother. Um, so a lot of the time in my life, we had to make way for my eldest brother. Uh, we had to uh, be mindful that he might freak out about something and turn violent. We had to be prepared if, if, if we had to start running or that we needed to call the police or uh, things like that. And, um, so you're a hyper vigilant child uh, for yeah. for all of these behaviors, and your brother has uh, extreme emotional problems at the age of twelve, thirteen, or fourteen that are right. abnormal compared to other families. And your family is doing its best to hide it, but now it is becoming a bigger problem in the sense of police are showing up. Your neighbors probably now notice that your police are showing up to your home and exactly. And you're in the illusion of what your family is, is, is breaking apart. Absolutely. I mean, we were getting to the point where the police knew us, uh, Somebody else in the neighborhood might have called 911 and they dropped by the house. Like just checking on you, making sure everything's okay. How's diving doing? Uh, kind of thing. Um, so, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And we always had to make way for uh, for my brother. I mean, we just had to set everything aside because we knew he was special. Uh, and I, I want I to, to emphasize that because uh, even with my, my, my um, narcissistic mother, you know, she, she was very much of like, well, you know, he's special. He's this, he's that, you know? And, uh, I, I, I remember he, I, I, two stories come to mind. So I'm like trying to figure out which one, but, um, 
I, I remember um, he didn't like he didn't like chores. He didn't like um, other people's parties. He didn't, or, or should I say, other people's birthdays, uh, uh, things of that nature. So one thing that comes to mind is that he was um, one time we uh, had him do, or well, I should say we, my father. Uh, had him do chores and he got upset that he had to do chores and he uh, I remember thinking oh my god he's gonna blow up he is going to blow up I was like hmm, eight nine something like that and I was preparing myself to get running right uh, but my my father was standing strong was like if he's going to be in this house and he is going to do chores anyway um, and he did. My uh, my brother just blew up, uh, and he broke a clock in the house. He kicked things. You know, we had to. It was it was a rough day. Fast forwarding to another time that my father was going to make him do chores, and my my uh, mother was very much like, um, "Well, the last time he did chores, he broke a clock, so we shouldn't have him do chores again." Can you see the problem with that? I mean, like. So he already is thinking he's special. So what's being established right now is one that the whole entire house is ruled by his mood and his behavior and his emotions. So you obviously at this point, um, it's all your emotions are determined based on his of what you are allowed and not allowed to have. Yeah. And then I guess it sounds like your mom is not doing her job and is willing to bend rules of he has his set of rules. Everyone else has their set of rules and your mom in a way is his number one um, friend, even though she's not being his friend by letting him do what she does She's just um, perpetuating what's going on while your dad is actually trying to do something about it. And that just—and that is perfect. That's exactly correct. And, and but to my younger than you know teenage mind, it's really just showing preference. You know, it's really just showing who's who is the preferred uh, uh, child, uh, really, um, because we can do or. Really, I can do something that's bad, you know, and um, my brother can do something, and well, you know, he's special. Um, and I, I think that was a, a probably a part of the reason why I clung to uh, uh, my dad so much. So, um, little little back history with with my parents. Um, he, uh, my father, uh, grew up with a a, a very stable. Uh, uh, family. He had uh, uh, a mom, a school teacher mom, and, and a dad who uh, I believe was an executive, uh, which was not very much heard of in the 60s for black people. Um, so he had a very stable life. Uh, while my mother, on the other hand, didn't. Uh, I won't say that she didn't have a, I shouldn't necessarily say she didn't have a stable life, but she didn't have the money uh, that um, that uh, dad had. And, and and among all uh, other things, she was when she was born, her mother was uh, forty, um, so she didn't. Her mother just didn't feel like dealing with her. Uh, at least that's what other 
family members have told me is that her mother just didn't, at 40 years old and having a, you know, even a two-year-old running around, you're like, okay, I can't. This is just too much for me. Um, and I think, I, I feel, uh, I, I, even with the stories I'm about to tell you, I feel a deep empathy uh, for my mother. But um, I think that she grew up feeling a bit like a not worthy, not worth paying attention to. Uh, where my dad was, I'll say, pretty coddled, pretty loved. I mean, you know, uh, and my my mother didn't have that. So there was that, there was this weird kind of background between the two of them uh, where they were just total opposites, total, total opposites. Um when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, my mom. Um, for, before we continue, uh, just sure. one thing for the audience and for uh, the rest of the story, because uh, how, how we talked before, uh, that now, for, I guess from now on, let's just call your mom Peggy. Yes. Oh. Yeah, I typically call her Peggy. Yes. Uh, it's, it's much preferred because when, when I mentioned her earlier and I was saying, I was like, my mom, I was like, that's not my mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cause I remember our, our phone conversation from before where I, uh, would re- refer to Peggy, uh, in the other term and it, you just preferred calling her Peggy cause you have, you've disassociated with her being, uh, anything but Peggy now. Right. Yeah. She's my biological mother, but she's just Peggy. Yeah. Just Peggy. Uh, I have other people who I would consider our mother, but I would so, uh, so but at this, yeah, so thank you point, for me in that regard. <laughs> so at this point, your the the story of your brother uh, in a certain way continues, but now we're going to be getting to the point where you start to realize who Peggy is. Right, I, because I never with, with my brother, I never really had that um, bond with him at all ever. Uh, I really hardly liked him um, throughout my life. Like, I was never given a point where I was like, can't wait to see him, you know? Um, but I did feel that for uh, Peggy. Uh, I, I, I liked Peggy a lot, actually, growing up. Uh, I thought that she was beautiful, uh, cuddly. Uh, I, I I liked Peggy. Uh, it's just that I don't I don't know if, if, if Peggy ever really uh, liked me. Um she said she did. There were a lot of times that she would tell me that she thought I was beautiful and things like that. But Peggy would do things that would just just undermine me. Uh, I I remember. Um, well, <laughs> we'll get to that. But um, <laughs> I, I, there, I remember being in school, and this is me fast forwarding a lot. So I'm sorry. But I remember being in college, even, uh, and um, Peggy wanted something, uh, and um, um, we had we were just it, we were pretty hard up at that point, and uh, um, 
dad said, we don't have the money for that. We can't, we can't do it. Like I, I was overhearing this argument. Uh, we don't have the money for that. You know, I'm paying for this and paying for that diamonds in school, whatever. And, uh, Peggy goes, uh, I'm, uh, why are we, why are we paying for diamond to be in school? And even by that point, I had a 4.0 in college. Uh, uh, so you could see she would just undermine me. She'd say very kind things to me. Uh, but, uh, I was, I was collateral damage to her. You know, if I got hurt, sorry. Um, and I, I think that dates back to just even my birth. Cause she's, she's told me in the past that she had postpartum depression with me. Uh, and, uh, that she just didn't feel like dealing with me. Um, which is Basically similar to how her, her mother felt about her, I think. Um, but she did. She, she said, she was like, I just don't have that. I didn't have that bond with you, you know. People would tell me, like, let's take care of Diamond, you know. She's a baby, whatever. And she just was, no, no thanks. I'd rather go hang out with my friends. I'd rather go be out doing things. I don't want to take care of my child. Uh, and I think that. Also, that part of that disconnection, she blamed on me. Um, I don't necessarily know exactly how I was to blame, but then we had, as I got older, we had different arguments where it was sort of like, if, well, if I hadn't have had you, I wouldn't have gone through depression kind of thing. Um, um, but, yes, uh <laughs> I'm a bit floored when I think about that because just the different arguments that we had and the fact that you know, she would blame me for things that were that were completely out of my control at two years old or something like that. Uh, but let's get back to the family life um, uh, with her. Um, at a certain point, you know, we were already busting at the seams, um, just violence, you know, things of that nature, just just a lot of, of violence. Uh, I wish I could have it in any, any other way. I wish I, there was a nicer way of putting it, but it was a lot of violence. Um, and um, right around the recession, uh, my, my father uh, actually worked in real estate at that point when we had the, the, the recession in the state. Um, so we were pretty hard up by that point. Um, and, she just didn't, she just didn't care. Um, by that point in that 2007, 2008 time, uh, my brother had actually moved out. Uh, he just up and left, uh, good riddance. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know, she just didn't, she just didn't care. You know, she didn't really, she didn't want to pick up where the, where the family needed to work and, and make money. She just didn't want to pick up on that. She was, I think she felt this, her own depression. She was in her own world about it. And, and, and maybe even in denial that we were so, so terribly broke. Um, like, uh, to hear, to let my father tell it, you know, after he was done paying any bills, um, he probably had $20 in his pocket with, you know, two young-ish kids at that point, or at least growing children. Um, and Peggy just fell into her own thing. I mean, she she was 
drinking heavily. Um, and that was something, I mean, I could remember going into her room. If you went into her room and then you just went to her side of her bed and looked under uh, the bed, you would see empty bottles of vodka. Uh, um, and um, she... There was just this disconnect. Um, she liked she liked shopping a lot. I mean, she wasn't working. She worked on and off different jobs for sure, but uh, at this point, she wasn't really working, and so she was using uh, Dad's money. And, and a lot of those things, it was things that she didn't want us to tell him either. So, so we would she. I guess it was like a retail therapy for her. But I remember having conversations with her and feeling like we can't afford that. These are things that we can't afford. You know, uh, there came a point where Dad had a conversation with us and said, we are broke. Somebody's got to do something, you know. And she just, the next day, took a, she took me shopping. Uh, and I felt just so intensely bad. So right around that point, after the recession, but not long after the recession, uh, I was able to get my first job. Um, and it wasn't necessarily to help around the house, but instead to at least pay for myself. Uh, and I learned the value of money that way. Uh, and so I think that's when I really started to stand up to Peggy. Uh, like, um, in the beginning, it was like, uh, in the beginning, I kind of just went along with it. Uh, and, and then just felt really bad whenever I was hanging out with my father. Like, how was your day, honey? Good. Uh, kind of thing. Whereas now, or at least at this point, I, I'm starting to be like, no, uh, actually saying no to Peggy, which I think also caused us to have uh, our own issues. So I'm I'm starting to make my own money. I'm starting to stand up to her, and she's starting to she's starting to do things that I didn't that I, I wasn't anticipating. And when I say that, I mean she's starting to play head games with me. Uh, um, at this point, you know, she's having regular arguments with uh my father um and and in I wasn't involved in those things I definitely found myself listening into them because I was so worried that they'd start fighting like actually punching each other um but I never actually I didn't I didn't experience the kind of arguing up until I got my own job well, um, it sounds like that Peggy in this time, especially when I hear you say that you knew not to spend, Peggy still liked to spend, you even said things to her uh, about that, that you are now Peggy's parent. For sure. And I mean, she, she, oh, I'm sorry, I was going to oh, say no, no, that, no, no, I continue. mean, um, <laughs> she, she, um, she, it, it was hard for me to recognize that only until later on, because she was the person who fed me. I mean, when I got home from school or something like that, she had dinner on the table. But in terms of emotional-wise, yeah, she was talking to me about her arguments with Dad or, you know, things like that. So, absolutely, I was her parent. And that that's where things got confusing. Absolutely. Yeah. Because now I want to, like, I, want, I don't want... I don't want fighting. I mean, I've never liked, I've never liked violence. I've never liked, I mean, TV violence. Absolutely. Who doesn't? But like the actual, when you hear somebody fighting in another room, that's a trigger for me. 
like hearing punching and things like that, I, it makes my heart race, things of that nature. And and now I'm, I'm at this point in the story, I should say, I'm feeling like I, I want to separate my parents when they're fighting like this, you know, what have you. I just don't want punching or yelling or all of those things. Um. I mean, I'm just thinking back to it now. It's really interesting. I, I, I imagine your previous guests have felt this too, where they're starting to relive it as they're talking about it. <laughs> I might start crying. Uh, um, um, but yes, uh, at that point, you know, there's there's so much fighting between my parents, um, and uh, I, I want to separate them, and I'm starting to feel really bad. Uh, for dad, you know, just because I'm starting to realize the value of money and I don't want to, I don't want to use his money and I, I see how he's feeling and he's tired after working and I know what it's like to be tired after working now and things of that nature. And, and for Peggy, it just does not register. It's like if it, if it's, if it's yours, it's hers. And if it's hers, it's hers. Um, and there. I'm becoming closer to my to my dad uh, through all of these things because when I'm hearing about arguments, because she would include me sometimes, I would even I would even be like I, I just I would take his side, uh, and and then that is where the 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 problem began between us. Um, and she would do things that would absolutely just mess with my head. Um, you know, um, ask me. She would. Ask me questions uh, that were just, they're not comfortable questions you don't want to ask. Um, um, like a, if daddy and I divorced, who would you go with kind of thing? And dad was always my choice. I just, I always liked him to begin with. I think I was just always was a daddy's girl. Uh, but it, more so, she felt that. Um, and um, after my first job, uh, once I turned old enough to, 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 to go to college, uh, I got a job working with my uh, dad, I mean, as an intern for the company that he worked for. And uh, now we're riding into work together, you know, and, and it's, 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 it's really making her livid. Um, she, she's, she's throwing little things in there, like a little, uh, I'd almost call them pipe bombs, you know. She'd say something, and then later on in the day, it goes in your ear. Um, um, and then she'd say things that were not so subtle in the beginning. <laughs> this is actually so – I don't even know how to bring it out. I, to, to publicly say it is it's very difficult. I have to say that. Um, but as we've gotten closer, my father and I, she started to accuse us of having a relationship, like a sexual relationship, uh, Peggy did. Um, it, where it would start, where it was like going out with your dad again, kind of thing. Um, and then it, it, it became, um, it became like, uh, um, I tell her, uh, good things that might happen, um, at work. And she'd say things like, oh, well, I'm sure your father coached you, which like, of course he did. And that's not a bad thing. He's my father. And then it just got bad where it was like, well, why don't you two just sleep together kind of thing? And and it really messed with my relationship with him. At that point, we were as close as ever. Um, but these little insinuations were coming in, like, often enough, you know? Uh, and 
I don't know, at that age, well, let's say I'm like 17, 18 years old, uh, at that age, I don't know, I, I can recall myself actually feeling like, what if she feels like, what if, what if it actually looks like from the outside that, that dad and I are, are sleeping together? What if it looks like that? What, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't hug him. I couldn't be around him without thinking about sex. That's kind of fucked up, actually. That feels weird. Um, but I couldn't. I couldn't. It just messed with me. I just felt gross. Um, later on in my conversations, like, um, actually, I'll even say that it was, Dad has said that her saying that had made him uncomfortable, too. I, I spent some time avoiding Dad when she started to really push that narrative. Uh, so she got what she wanted. Um, yeah, she started planting but, these seeds of doubt in your head often enough to start questioning your the reality of your relationship with your dad, which was a normal relationship, and she's now made both of you feel that it's not right. And right. Made and you, she say that. This it, is not right. So now you're not trusting... Uh, what the outside world might think of what's going on and not trusting uh, your own thoughts and the reality of your life. She's now made you with this type of planting a question, everything about you, probably not just this situation, but what else am I thinking about myself that is real or not real? Right. Absolutely. And, and and just even just for some reason putting myself into her shoes, which was rough. I mean, it, it, and nearly impossible. Uh, it wasn't until you know, just looking back on it, and and, and speaking to uh, my therapist now, who was like, "So you're 17 years old, and she is accusing your father and you of incest, and she doesn't protect you. She just gets mad at you for being your father's other woman." Because she was not, listen, she at that point did not like me. No, no, did not. I would come home, you know, and did not, did, didn't want to interact with me. You know, if I didn't do something that she wanted, I remember I didn't want to do something involving my eldest brother. Because, again, this is from being very young up until now, uh, up until wherever, yeah, you still... He could be however many miles away, but she she wanted to be there with him. Uh, she wanted to be there for him, what have you. Uh, and I, w- I refused to do something for my eldest brother because he's a deadbeat father. That's a big old jump, but I'll say that anyway. And um, um, uh, I remember refusing and then going to my room and then going back to the kitchen. And Peggy is, like, talking to... Um, um, my middle brother and my uncle, and she sets her eyes on me when I come in the room. She goes, that's right, we're talking about you. So now they're ganging up on me. Which, what, you just got my, my middle brother and my uncle, and you're trying to get them against your 17-year-old daughter. I think you're punching below your weight. Um, <laughs> but still... Um, before so, we yeah. before we continue, can I just say how despicable it is of <laughs> Peggy to have that even insinuated to do that to your 
uh, to you. And it just, it's really despicable to implant uh, a sexual innuendo abuse type situation with your dad. I mean, it's revolting. And um, you deserved a lot better. A lot. I mean, you didn't deserve that in any way. Um, and, Thank you. And to recognize that, like, there is something seriously wrong with uh, Peggy. It had nothing to do with you. And it sounds a lot like the role in which you ha- took within your family. If you didn't take that role, would you have been vilified anyway? If you didn't take the role of earning money or being with your dad or any role of responsibility would in your mind would you have been vilified for not doing it i think that peggy or at least on peggy's side um she would have uh, like you were damned if you did damned if you didn't Right. Uh, yes, I would say so. But I think on Peggy's side, she needed people on her side. So her beef was with my father. So she wanted, like, my brothers and my uncle and me on her side, right? Uh, but I also would say that internally, I think I would have vilified my damn so <clears throat> Because um, I just, I remember just these large amounts of guilt in seeing my dad being so tired after work or, you know, my dad just not really having the money, you know, and he would talk to me about these things, you know, um, because I think I took on the role of being my dad's parent, too, a little bit. He was definitely my parent. He was always my parent. Uh, but I think I took on the role. I may have even taken on the role of being my father's wife, uh, which is messed up in the fact that, you know, Peggy had pointed me in that direction and said those things. But I just was like, somebody has to take care of him. Well, somebody, so, somebody in your family to. had to step up in, in your mind. Someone has to step up here. No one else is stepping up. I'm going, my right. role is to be the person to step up. It's not necessarily a role of taking on uh, the role of a wife, you know, because if your middle, if the middle brother, you're just a slightly older brother of yours decided like, this is going to be me, it would have been him. And maybe your role would have been somewhat a different, but someone had to, and no one was doing it. And you were like, you had enough guilt inside you to be like, it's mm-hmm. got to be, I, I'm doing it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, and, um, I have to say, you know, kudos to my dad because, you know, for that moment when she started to accuse me, uh, you know, accuse him too. But what I tell him and what I tell people in general, he was a grown man when he was going through these things, you know. Uh, He was going through his own abuse. I will absolutely give him that. But he was a grown man. I was not. I was not. I was my my brain just wasn't developed in that way. So when I started to avoid him, kudos to my dad, he refused to let it happen. I remember being in bed, and he like kicked my bed, and he's like, "We're going for a drive," and I was like, "I don't feel like it," just because that was what I would do to avoid him. He's like, "Nope, we're going," you know, and and thanks to him doing that and actually taking me that day that morning, you know, I was like, "I'm not going to avoid him." He is a good man. I do love my father. I really, really love my father. But even after that point, you know, once I was like, okay, that's it. 
dad and I, we are in the foxhole together. That's, that is what it is. So, I mean, that, this is when it starts getting really bad, not just with the incest stuff, but just between us. This is when I decided to go to war. Uh, um, and I was, I was making it rough on him, um, on dad, because she, I think she knew that she wasn't, she wasn't, I didn't consider her my parent, you know, so she can't really say go to your room. Dad can say go to your room and I would go to my room, but if she did, I would be like, no, you can't tell me to do that. Um, I was a fighter. I am a fighter. Um, but, um, so it's just getting bad between us. And I, now it's getting to the point where we're screaming at each other and she's blaming dad for how I'm acting, which didn't make sense to me at that point. I, it doesn't because I, I just, I don't know. I think I was always older than I am. If that makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's getting bad. And so she's yelling at him and anytime he's like, he's like, just stay away from her. But it's very difficult for me to stay away from her because she starts things with me. And it's, it's funny how it all kind of, it, it turns that way because when I, going back a little bit when I was younger and I see my parents arguing, I, I, I would tell dad the same thing. I'd be like, stay away from Peggy, you know, cause she, I could see her starting things. Like she would accuse him of not caring for his family, which is wild because this man is working like 12 hour days trying to put food on the table. Like, you can't say he doesn't care about his family. Um, but he would take issue with that, of course, because he's working 12-hour days. Um, and I would say, like, she's clearly trying to get under your skin. Um, but now here Dad and I are, and he's like, stay away from her. And here I am being like, she's starting with me. It's funny in that way. Um, um, but... Yeah, um, so we're we're just going to war, and Dad is tired. Honestly, he's tired. He's he's working a bunch. Uh, his money is getting drained by her uh, and her habits. I mean, by this point, she's not just you know she's drinking heavily, but she's also taking oxy, uh, I think, uh, with painkiller. Um, so that's a terrible mix. Uh, she's just, you know, so she's getting high and all of these things and draining his money and he doesn't feel like arguing anymore. And I'm angry about how, you know, I'm an angsty teenager. (laughs) Uh, So he's, he's tired and I, I I really felt for him. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't make it any easier for him if I, I tried, even if I stopped, even if I just didn't give her anything, uh, which some days I was tired myself and didn't um, give her any sort of reaction, she was still going to get it. It didn't matter. Trust me, we've tried. Um, um, and I don't know. I, uh, I think he's inching towards leaving, um, um, but he's not – I don't know. I, I I guess uh, I would say he was in a bit of a, a learned helplessness, you know, um, um, where he he didn't want to break up the family. I mean, he wasn't much of a family by that point, but he didn't want to. He still wanted to be a family man. He wanted us together. Uh, but it's not working out. Um, um, and so now he's, he's inching towards leaving. Uh, and inching is like, 
yeah, he's about to leave, and they have this big argument, and then he's going to go stay someplace else, uh, but then he comes back. And it was like torture for me um, because she always brought him back. I mean, she would figure out – I mean, she she had this way, Peggy did, of like starting with you and then being really sorry the moment that your hand is on the doorknob. Uh, and she did it to me too, you know. Um, 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 but what – what made, I don't know, I'm not going to say what made him leave because I can't really say that, but he has said that a big reason that he left her was he was like, you're, now you're, you're not just beating up on me, but you're actually beating up on my child because there would be moments where um, he would come home from work and we'd be arguing back and forth and she would like dart over to me like she was going to hit me, uh, which has happened several times. And each time he would yell like, no. Or he'd hop in front of me or something. But he always made sure she didn't hit me. She never hit me. But only, I mean, mainly, I would say, because he didn't allow her to hit me. She hit him. She absolutely hit him. She did not hit me. Um, uh, and I'd like to say I would have hit her back. I don't know for sure because I felt I was very sad. <laughs> I would feel very sad about hitting the person who gave birth to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think she knew that and used that against me. Um, but little by little, he decides to leave and it's, it's this night. I remember the night and I can see it in my head as I'm speaking right now. Uh, he's packing, he, he packs things and he takes it to my grandmother's house. Um, I mean like one day after work, he put things in a box and then we go for a ride. I'm saying that with quotations. We take a box to grandma's house. And then we do that, and then we do that. We keep doing that. And then little by little, suddenly we're moving out. And then late one night, you know, when everything's very, very quiet, we take the rest of our things, we put it in a van, and we left Peggy. Um, uh, and then we lived with, uh, with Grandma, who is, was uh, an absolutely amazing woman. I think a lot of my personality comes from her um and she's very protective of us though she tried to she tried to um get me and peggy to bond again uh because she had these family values born in 1929 so you can imagine being her her generation uh how they felt about things um but yeah, um, we we were there, and I loved it, honestly, because that was the first time that I really felt like I was in a family. I mean, we were, uh, she had these old views, but some of them were, were kind of dope. I mean, like, five o'clock dinners, you know, we would, like, sit, and, and she'd smoke and tell me about my family's history, you know, like, like black history back in the fifties. It was, it, she had some interesting shit to say, which I thought was really cool. Um, so that was when I felt really, really happy. I was 19 by that point. Um, and, and, and dad was happier, you know, sure. He was still working a bunch and sure. He was, he was gearing up to have to pay alimony to Peggy and all those things. And he's still dealing with her BS, but at least nobody's waking him up in the middle of the night to argue with him. And, you know, Nobody's just, nobody's trying to argue with him, you know. He was in the house with his daughter and his mother, these two most caring women in his life. I think he was living pretty well, at least, you know, by that point. 
it was it was really really nice actually and um about about a month uh, of of uh, of being there, you know, um, he gave me a ride to college. Uh, actually, it was a community college, so it wasn't really far away. And he gave me a ride on his way to work. And um, uh, by that point, Grandma was actually still in bed. Uh, and um, well, I went to school, uh, and then um, Dad was actually supposed to pick me up from school. Uh, um, and, uh, while I was in class, I got these calls from him. Um, so finally I was able to get his call and he was like, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, um, uh, I'm a little far away. I am going to come get you, but it's going to take me 30 minutes. Uh, you know, and I'm like, is everything okay? You know? And he's like, I'll be there soon. Um, so he actually comes and gets me 30 minutes. Like he said he would, which is very, like, that's when I knew something was wrong because my father is always late. <laughs> so when he was on time, I was like, well, what is going on here? Um, and um, <clears throat> uh, he um, parked over to the side. Uh, he called my brother while I was in the car, and he told us that um, uh, Grandma's house caught on fire and uh, that um, uh, that she was in the house and, uh, they didn't know because there wasn't a car. Uh, so she was trapped in there and that she was in the hospital. Uh, and you know, all of these ceilings are rushing at me at that point, you know, um, I didn't know where we were going to live. Uh, I don't know what was going to happen to grandma. Um, everything just, it all went wrong when I thought everything was about to go right. I thought I, I'd, I'd escaped this abusive woman, and, and I'm, I'm living with my grandmother, and everything's going to be okay now. And, and the universe just wasn't done with me yet. I don't know. Uh, my poor grandmother. Um, so that was was terrible, terrible time. I was 19, um, and the house was... I mean, there was no way. It's not like you can go home after that. I mean, it was, it was, it was beat to hell. Uh, and I remember being, you know, waiting in the hospital. Uh, and, um, we, they, they took us up to see her finally after hours. Um, and, um, we're trying to find her room and, um, somebody's going around with a gurney. And I, I remember the first thought. Uh, being, wow, somebody's grandma got fucked up. I mean, because this person, the person going past me did not look like my grandmother. My grandmother was this prim and proper war wig kind of thing, and she was, she didn't look like that at all. I was like, wow, somebody's grandma is hurt. And I was like, oh shit, that's my grandma. Um, <laughs> I'm not laughing. Um, um, but I remember at that point, you know, we were living in a hotel, uh, just, I mean, you know, a double bedroom hotel. Uh, um, and, um, Peggy, uh, was trying to, this was the point where I think she saw a good old, a good old Hoover attempt, <laughs> uh, you know, where you, she was start, she was trying to get in contact with me. And, uh, I remember her talking to, 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 uh, 
dad and saying, tell, tell my baby I'm coming, you know, and all of those things. And she told us that, uh, if we wanted to, we could move back in with her, uh, which dad and I responded like, we'd rather be homeless. Um, <laughs> at least we were on the same part, side on that one. We were like, no, nah, we're good. We'd rather be, uh, we, 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 we'd rather, we'd rather be homeless and be around you. Um, um, yeah. Uh, so at this point you have no inkling to go back to her. Your grandmother is still in the hospital and you guys are yeah. living in a hotel at that point with your mom, I guess going forward, uh, do you have contact with her again after this or does your life, uh, completely separate from her at this point? For a while, we absolutely did have contact, though it was very limited. I, I didn't like her. Um, um, yeah, I didn't, I, I just couldn't, um, it was just way too much that she'd done in the time between me being, uh, like 13 to like, you know, to like 18 years old that I, I just didn't want anything to do with her. But she, she was trying really, really hard. There would be, uh, out of the blue, sometimes she would send me a text about wanting to hang out with me or something. And I remember one time she tried to, uh, my uncle, um, she, she had him text me and tell me that Peggy was having a drug overdose. Uh, like, come quick. She's having a drug overdose, <laughs> which to my answer was like, Call 911. <laughs> Don't call me. Well, you need to be there for her. Call 911. Have you called 911 yet? And by that point is when I was like, that was a trap. You were trying to set me up. Yeah, she's using Wait. her, her uh, relatives, her immediate relatives that aren't uh, your dad. Or My immediate the, relatives. Yeah. Well, 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 not like in your, uh, actual once that were once in your household, like her actual family from, uh, her birth to, to try and get you as like a flying monkey to come back. Exactly. Yeah. I'll say I knew my uncle very well. I knew him very well. So it was somebody that I, I would have trusted. Mm -hmm. So at, he, at that point, um, yeah, I, I, how are you able to, uh, I, I don't know, was there a final straw when you, when you officially are like, I'm not dealing with uh, Peggy anymore? And uh, after that, I guess we can discuss, how, uh, you know, all these things happen to you. And from birth, from your brother, from everything you learned there, uh, then it moved on to your mother. Uh, sorry, to Peggy, I apologize for that, uh, <laughs> from, from that point. Um, and now, uh, who are you as a human being and what are all the traits that you, uh, incurred that are negative ones that you need to work on and what is your kind of healing process after that? In, in dealing with, uh, in dealing with Peggy, um, uh, I just, and just as I got older, more and more, I wanted nothing to do with her. I mean, just 
outside stories of deal of, of her, you know, not things that I had even interacted with, but it was just, there are so many conversations that I had with her family members or just people, uh, where I was like, she ain't changed at all. <laughs> um, so just as I got older is just the more and more, uh, of less contact that was there. Um, um, and then dating to this very moment, there is no contact whatsoever. Um, The person that I became, well, (laughs) I, I, um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a very patient person. Uh, just some of the bad things that come off of it, I should say. (laughs) Um, I'm not a very patient person. Um, and when I say that, I mean, I, uh, if, if you're, if you're shitty, then I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to interact with that. I mean, I'm not going to argue with you. I'll probably will hardly even tell you you're shitty. I'll just be gone. Um, uh, which, you know, if you're actually not shitty and you had a bad day, then you just missed out on diamond. You're not a second chance person. Not a second chance person. Not at all. You know, no. a lot, a lot, you know, that's, uh, I've been reading a lot lately. Uh, about second chances where one specific person that I've been reading uh, a book from says like the whole thing about second chances is uh, maybe, maybe we should not give people second chances because that whole theory that's put into our head from when we are younger gives the opportunity for people to uh, abuse you uh, by giving them that second chance and they don't deserve it. So uh, kudos to you. You recognize that and you know, there's an extreme of it, but you don't want to deal with that anymore. No, I mean, uh, my my eldest brother got second chance, third chance, fourth chance, uh, tenth chance, one hundredth chance. I mean, it was so it was an endless cycle that made me start to feel like a like I uh, I had no say in anything because I was he's I was he's clearly a shitty person, uh, like, and and they just kept giving him chance after chance, and then he just kept proving that he was shitty. I'm not a second chance person. You like, I was like, ah, you, you, you taught me how you are. Then uh, you taught me how to treat you. Um, uh, I, I, I've recently learned this through therapy is that I, uh, I'm extremely competitive. Uh, and that's something that I had to work on. And I think that had to do with, uh, Peggy really, uh, pitting me against my middle brother and pitting me against my eldest brother. Um, Hitting me against anyone, to be quite honest. Uh, <laughs> I stopped just, doing competitive things as well because when yeah. I, I, I recognized many years ago that when I was competitive, I became a terrible person. Right. And I did not like that about myself. So let's say I was on a team, I was in a team sport. If someone made an error in a baseball game or things like that, I would think negatively and I would take it way too seriously what we were doing. And I'm like, why am I thinking this way about my teammate? I don't want to think that way. I stopped playing uh, team sports. I didn't want to put myself into those situations. Uh, Even things like uh, Scrabble where... I would play uh, many, I think it was, it must have been 11 years ago where I was too competitive at Scrabble one time and someone in, in, in introduced me to a game of Scrabble where you would put a word down, but the next person would put a word down to, and you would, you tell a story with that word. 
and someone would put another word down, and then they would continue the story that you told. So Scrabble didn't, didn't become about points. It just came about, like, let's tell a story together. So it became a, yeah. not a competitive game. So I was trying to reinvent ways to play games where there was no competition going on and that I just wouldn't care anymore what the outcome was. And then it wasn't about the outcome. It was just more about I just want to play. And I don't care if I win or I lose because I knew if it was be, uh, like a win or a lose situation, the worst of me would come out of what was ingrained in me. Have you said that on air? I feel like I've heard that before. I don't know if I've said that on air before. Or maybe we might have discussed that in our first conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly. Because I absolutely, I was like, huh, yeah. That's, I remember thinking that was a, a novel idea. But yes, exactly. And, and more so... Um, it, Outside of games, unfortunately, just seeing other people doing well in life. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it just uh, other people doing well in life. I, I, I would just feel competitive, you know, or need to feel like I had something over You would compare that yourself. Person. Yeah, yeah, really bad. I mean, um, I think, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, um, narcissism and people with empathy have some things in common. Cause I know I, I, for a while I wondered if I was, if I was actually a narcissist. It was therapy that helped me realize I wasn't a narcissist. But the comparison was hindering you. Oh yeah. yeah. And my friendships. So how did, how my is best that? Friend how, how herself that had to tell me like, you're being a dick. <laughs> okay. And did you work on it? <laughs> Absolutely, I would never want to lose my best friend. Um, then I was when she talked to me. I was like, "Yeah, I am being a dick," um, which I think you felt that too. <laughs> so, are you more conscious now of being uh, of what you're saying and and working on the thought process of why am I thinking this? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I, 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 I just, um, I've felt less of those feelings uh, towards especially people I love now that I'm able to be like, oh, that's something. Uh, like, oh, I'm feeling that. Like, why, you know, I, that feeling of, like, why am I not doing as well as this person, you know? But I heard that, you know, like, getting going, getting older, you know? Um, um, I, I And I, I beat myself up a bunch, Um I think I have two more traits that I'd like to bring up, but the first one is I beat myself up a bunch. Uh, that's something that I've had to work on. I feel like I should be perfect. Um, I just, I don't have trust in everybody else, but I do trust myself uh, heavily. Um, and so when I make a mistake, I'm like, what? You know, like, um, uh, I, I have a very high self-esteem. Um, um, so when I mess up, I'm like, that, that, that was weird. And just in anticipating, like, other people, um, uh, it, just in anticipating uh, go, relationships that go uh, awry or anything like that is definitely, I'm like, why didn't I see that coming, you know? Like, you should have known. Even if I had no way of knowing, I'm like, but you should have seen that coming. <laughs> Do you recognize that the voice in your head telling you all of these things from the comparisons to the beating yourself up to perfectionism, that there, that it's Peggy's voice in your head and not yours? It took me a while to, um, I mean, I walked around with Peggy with me for years. 
I mean, even after I went no contact with Peggy, she was still sitting on my shoulder. Uh, it wasn't until I really got into therapy this year that my therapist is like, Peggy is still in this room. For some reason, you're allowed, like, not necessarily you're allowing Peggy to be in the room, but I'm just saying it my way. Like, Peggy is still with you. Uh, and she is. Uh, less so now, or maybe I'm just, uh, I know that she's there. But, and I hate to say it like that, too, because I, as a narcissist, which I truly think she suffers from narcissistic personality disorder, uh, um, um, I think it would make her very happy to know that she's still sitting on my shoulder. I think that would make her very happy. So what are the next steps for you on quieting? the Peggy uh, out of your head? And, and is there a plan that you and your therapist have, or is it just, does, does your therapist say it's just going to be uh, take, take time? Cause how, how, like, what, like how long ago was it that Peggy was officially out of your life? <laughs> oh, um, that's a good question. I'm going to say, uh, I, I mean, once I turned 19, I stopped seeing her regularly. And then probably once I was even 21, um, um, I, I stopped seeing her. I mean, I, it might have been a text message every six months. Uh, and then by the time I'm, uh, I'm, I'm 25 now. So by the time I turned 24, there was no contact whatsoever. Oh, so it's relatively fresh. Maybe even 23. Okay. I didn't realize that it was so re- that it was relatively fresh still. So, you have like it's going to take a while. Yes, yeah. I didn't feel it was uh, it was relatively fresh. I mean, again, back to the perfectionism. Why am I not over this by now? No, this has been a year. It's only a year. No, no, oh no, 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 no. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, no, no, no. I mean, I, I, we didn't. We stopped interacting, like having full, full, full conversations when I was nineteen. But like. We would exchange every once in a while, uh, like every blue moon. Like it'd be like, oh wow, I'm hearing from uh, Peggy. You know, up until I was like maybe 23. Mm-hmm. Still, but yeah, still tw- 23. It's, it's it's still even if it's 19 years old, you still have 19 years of abuse uh that you need to deal with it and since technically there was 19 years of abuse uh let's not even include this and then you just started working really with a therapist in the last yeah. year it's yeah. you've been working on it for one year let's just look at it in that sense and, uh, yeah you know what i mean yeah so you got I one year under your belt this is going to take a while you got 19 years of abuse to deal with and it's going to take a long time to uh, go through it all. You know, sometimes you'll be stuck in certain spots. Then you'll have, like, steps forward and steps backwards. But you're, you're getting there. You know, the good thing is is that you already know exactly how everything worked. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? And why you are doing or why your actions are your current traits that you have that you like or you don't like and where they came from. And, and why you do them. So at least you know where to look or, or how to, to, I guess you already have that realization. It's not like you have to go searching for somewhere to find answers. You have all of your answers. Now it's just uh, you getting practices to slowly over time, make those disappear. Yeah. 
It doesn't always feel like that, but you have a great point. I'll say it doesn't always feel like that because there's so much that I still wonder about Peggy. Um, I wish that she would have been more honest. I mean, I think that we all feel that way about, uh, uh, you know, abuse, narcissistic abuse, but there's so much that I wish I would have known because I would have been, I don't know. I don't know if I, if I could say I would have been nicer, but like there were things about her life that she was just so embarrassed about, you know, things that they didn't really matter, but she was so embarrassed. Like she was, she was married before my father or that, you know, she's, she's, you know, um, lost a few of her children, uh, before me, things like that. Um, things that had she told me this from birth, I would not have judged her. Even if she would have told me this at this very moment, I would have judged her. If my father out of the blue would have told me that I wouldn't have judged him. Uh, but she felt this immense amount of shame. And I, I, I feel a deep empathy for Peggy actually. Uh, for that reason, I feel like she was accusing me of having sex with my dad. And I'm like, did you have sex with your dad? Is this, are you, t- are you accusing me of something that you actually know of? You know, like there's this deep feeling where I'm like, I'm so sorry about what happened to you because I know something. I mean, I don't know for sure that something happened to her, but it feels like something bad happened to her. And that she just was never able to deal with it. And then at a certain yeah. at a certain point, she just checked out. Exactly. Because, I, it, because I, it was too painful to actually deal with. Right. I think that these, you know, I, 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 I feel for both ends of people. Unfortunately, um, uh, I don't. I don't think a lot of people are going to like this one part. Uh, but of people who uh, experience narcissistic abuse, but I also feel very heavily for people who are narcissists. Because they, they're in this world, you know, they, they, they're, it's, it's, they, it's it's a shame-based disorder, you know, uh, and, um, I remember being younger and seeing the, 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 she would go off into her own world, you know, like, in that, like, be alone in her world imagining things, you know, I could just see that she wasn't here anymore, uh, and, um, you know, she was making these things up in her head. Like, I couldn't imagine having this TV playing in your head. And, you know, I, for all I knew, there was this TV playing in her head. And now she's accusing me of whatever the TV in her head is saying. I, I, I am so upset with her for how the, the way that she treated me. But at the same way, I'm like, I'm so sorry for how somebody must have treated you. I'm sorry that you feel this way or that your brain is just not working with you. Like I'm, I'm sorry. Well, you're, you're, see, you're a good person. You have empathy for Peggy, and Peggy's life is always going to be uh, turmoil and and drama and pain. And there, you know, it is. And I'm you know, so sorry. <laughs> it, it, you know, but at a certain point, you know, your empathy goes one way, but at a certain point, you have to take care of yourself and uh, over her feelings and her emotions and let that go because there's nothing you can do. Only Peggy can fix that. And it's what everyone kind of has to remember is Peggy's had met probably many opportunities in her life to change. And it doesn't, it doesn't excuse Peggy from being 
the way she is towards you. There's been many opportunity for Peggy and other people in those situations to recognize that these things have happened, uh, the way that they're treating others, and they haven't changed. And they live in this constant anger uh, towards others, and uh, they're quick uh, on the switch of showing that anger of when they're upset or sad, and there's nothing you can do to change that. And there's nothing anyone can besides them. And that it's not your problem anymore. It never was your problem, but now it really isn't because your focus should be on let's get you to being the best you possible uh, going forward. Because my concern is you. My concern is you. Oh, my concern is you too. <laughs> so before we before we finish off here, do you have anything, uh, your wise words of what you've been through and what you want people to learn from your story? That is a great question. Or if that was, that, I, I mean, I, I, my best advice from where I stand. Um, first of all, is if somebody is just displaying to you that they are just not going to act right, um, people teach you how to treat them and you teach people how to treat you. Um, if they are just displaying like absolutely like that, that they are, this is how they're going to be, uh, believe them. This is not, this is not a, you, uh, keep helping and this is, you know, this person is just in distress. There's a, there's a difference, uh, between somebody who is in distress but trying to get out of it and somebody who is in distress and wants to inflict pain on you. Um, so in that case, get out, you know, um, they're, if they're showing it, get out. But also, and, and also kind of weirdly in that same, uh, vein, um, keep pushing, <laughs> get out, but keep, keep, keep pushing, excuse me. Um, and I say that because there have been, I, my dad kept pushing to keep putting food on the table, even though parts of his resources were being drained, uh, which led us to, you know, moving in with grandma. And then, you know, even then after the fire, you know, we kept pushing, um, even while being homeless. It, even if you need to get away from that person and you have to sleep on a couch, you know, or sleep on the floor while your kids are sleeping on a couch in a room someplace, I think you'll be much happier. Um, Just keep going. That's what I would say. All right. Well, thank you, Diamond, for being on the show. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You know, our, our, our... For a bit, like at the beginning of the story, our upbringing, in, like, at least in the beginning aspect with, with the brother situation, uh, very twin-like in that sense. I understand exactly kind of what went on. And When I heard your story, I was like, wow, we, have, we must be we, related. <laughs> <laughs> Even when you talked about your mom, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> well, well, just in the way she protected him. My mom wasn't the same mm-hmm. in, in, in the long run, but in the way that she no. protected him, it was very similar. <laughs> 
So yes. <laughs> uh, Jason, thank you for being on the show. And thank you for, you know, a lot of people might hear us laugh during, during the show in very serious parts. And, you know, just for everyone to know, like, know. This, this is our, like, this is our nervous um, mechanism and how we deal right. with things. So, you know, I'm the same with you in, in that sense. So please don't think anything bad of us for, for doing that. It's just the way we are. And, um, you know, when you were, when you said, cause you, you brought up a part where you were laughing, I forgot what the exact part was. And cause you, you said like, I'm not laughing. Um, right. I forget, I forget what part was that, but like, I, 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 understood, I understood you, um, but yeah. I, just wanna, I just want everyone Funny. out there to understand, like, you know, it's just the way we were, we're it's, it's so regular to us and, um, right. to us and normal to us our whole entire life that we do laugh in a strange way at these things because that's what we just do. And it's, and it's, um, it's, we've co- always kind of had to brush things off, you know? Um, right. so it, it's just ingrained in us to do that. So please don't take offense if there was a part of that as well. I understand you. And, uh, so just again, Laughter helped my dad and I when we were in the foxhole together. Yeah, it's just <laughs> when a lot of people say in, in movies, there's those certain parts where like crazy things are going on, and uh, you know it's crazy. Like you know, people are after you and chasing you, and then there's that light moment where these two people have a funny conversation with each other, and that's not realistic. In my life, that right. would be realistic. I think in my sense, <laughs> I would I would be able to point out the dark humor in this mm-hmm. terrible situation. Um. And that's, you know, that's how we, uh, part of one of the reasons we got along so well, especially in our first conversation before we even got here. So absolutely. anyway, for everyone else listening from Diamond and myself, thank you and have a good night. And that was my conversation with Diamond. So a big shout out again to Diamond for being part of this episode. As you can tell, she's been through a lot and she's made it to the other side. She's strong and she's doing well. And thank you, Diamond, for being on this episode. Hopefully we will have you on once again in a follow-up episode. And before I leave, just a reminder about our Facebook group. You can go to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Narcissist Apocalypse. It is rocking and rolling, so come there and hang out with us. And again, once uh, once more about our Letters to a Narcissist episode, go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. If you want to have your letter be read on our episode and you want to read it yourself, there's a voicemail recorder on that site. You click on Send Voicemail. It's on the right side of the page. You record up to five minutes. Do it once, twice, three times, as many times as you need. We're accumulating these letters for our volume two of that episode. And now... That's it. Be well, and bye for now.